That was our best intro, <clears throat> and it was off mic. <laughs> That's a shame. That's what I do to Julia before we record, and she gets mad at me. <laughs> well, I love it. I love it. Hey, everybody. Can I hear that one again? Who is that? Hey, everybody. Hi, doggy. Hi. You know who that is? Oh, hi. Who? Hi, babe. Anything for my princess. <laughs> God, forgive me. It's just, Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, just the room. Yeah. Yeah, just the room pulls. At first, like the 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 first poll, which was, "Hi everybody, hey everybody, hey everybody," <laughs> I immediately thought like that's a YouTuber, just a generic YouTuber. Mm, mm -hmm. It makes me wonder, like, did YouTubers rip off Tommy Wiseau or did he rip off? <laughs> right. It was the same cadence, same, just like sure. Is that it? Uh, oh, well, I mean. Oh, you got some for later? Do you want it to be it? I hate you. I hate men. And I miss you, daddy, you bastard. I'm going to cut your cock off. <laughs> What's that from? Some, like, therapy video. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. They're working some stuff out. Yeah. Good for them. I mean, I, I do want more, but you can sprinkle them throughout. We don't have to just. You're blowing in my ear. I'm blowing the dust off of our podcast. Ah. Like an old artifact. <coughs> yeah. Stop. Like Indiana Jones. It's like you threw a PUBG smoke grenade. <clears throat> and at the end, we're going to, our faces are going to melt off. Mm. Isn't that what happens? If only. Or doesn't he get, like, super old? He gets old, and then his skin falls off. Mm. It melts off in um, Raiders. That's the Nazi that happens to? Yeah, the, the, the Nazi melts off in the... Uh, well, they're both Nazis. Uh, mm -hmm. The other Nazi in Last Crusade um, just gets... He olds out of his skin, basically. The guy that melts? No, the guy... The guy melts, yeah, yeah, the guy... Who, the what happens drinks, to the guy that melts? The, the guy who drinks the grail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, right. He just gets so old right. super fast. And then the other guy uh, looks at the angel devils from the uh, lost from the Ark, and uh, he melts, which I think is in the Bible. Okay. No, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> What if, you know, I don't know. I don't know what made me just think of this, but, like, what if, you know, God started humanity with a little bit of a heads up, a little bit of, like, hey, Adam, Eve, this is how you uh, you make steel, mm. you know? Like, yeah. I'm going to kick you out of this garden, but here's, uh, here's the wheel, here's fire. Mm-hmm. Here's just 
a little bit of technology for you right they get like a bonus like in civilization revolution exactly. they start with a great person or whatever yeah what if you gave them options <laughs> but they didn't understand the the impact and they just picked the worst options yeah uh we'll take the fig leaves <laughs> um but what if in the <laughs> we'll start with sin <laughs> we don't know what any of this is that's a cool word yeah, give us uh, eternal damnation. <laughs> yeah, we want out of this garden. <laughs> the first thing. Um, but what if in the in the ark it was like Moses's Glock? <laughs> you know, instead of just like a staff, it's just uh, like uh, wow, it's Moses's early iPhone <laughs> in there. You can see his browsing history. <laughs> Ah, that's so funny. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, he's not my audience, okay? No, okay. The real heads got it. Okay. <laughs> Tommy. <laughs> what? Ace, get down. I'm going Shh. for my water. He looks confused. Okay. Okay. So. Talk to him. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think we are going to try and keep it short. Yeah, get back in the saddle. I, you know, I have to say, when we thought about doing this again, for the, um, was this the, the fifth time? <laughs> All right. The fifth iteration? <laughs> this um, is our annual stop recording for six months and then come back and not know what to do. I didn't, you know, we've... I don't think either of us have listened to a whole one of our episodes other than you used to edit them. Right? Yeah. I listened. Well, now you yeah, don't. yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I would listen afterwards to make sure there was no like mistakes. Okay. Um, so I, I haven't, but I, I went back and I, I wanted to see what we talked about last, which was a doozy. Yeah. Um, and I didn't listen to the beginning because I kind of wanted to see where we left off. So it just kind of started towards the end. Mm -hmm. um, when you said Jurassic Park was a piece of shit. Right. <laughs> Which I stand by. Yeah. Um, and I didn't hear us talk about COVID at all. And I don't know if, I don't know if we did. I don't know if you listened to any of the last episode that we recorded. And then the one before that started auto-playing where you talked about when you broke your uh, elbow. Right. Well, the last one we recorded was from, like, March. I thought it was August. No, March was your elbow. And then it was, like, August. Huh. So it was, like, in the... in the Yeah. Uh, during COVID. Yeah. We didn't talk about it at all? Yeah, well, again, August seventeenth. I, yeah, I didn't listen to the beginning, but I, I was going to say I kind of like the idea that um, in our podcast universe, uh, it doesn't exist. Yeah, COVID kind of passed us over. Sure. So what we've we been doing for the last few months, not COVID stuff. <laughs> right. We've just been off. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we just disappeared. That's all. That's all. That's all you need to know. It has nothing to do with the pandemic mm -mm. <laughs> that what never pandemic? happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I like that and I kind of want to protect that. So 
Okay. There's one off uh, topic um, or off limit. Topic. Okay. Other than that, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. other than that, you know, not much has been going on, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just steady as she goes for me. Right. <laughs> uh, but I, I have, you know, I have a few books that maybe I wanted to talk about briefly. And yeah. Talk to them. Talk to them. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's two shows that maybe we want to touch on. And yeah. I do like our TV show stuff. I, okay. I would like to do that. And I would like to put uh, the Underground Railroad series that's coming up in. Oh, my gosh. Really? Have you heard of the TV series just came out called <sighs> Them? Yeah, actually, I just saw like an ad for it, like a banner ad on a website or something, and it looks like and it looks like a parody. It looks like a, a Mad TV ripoff of Us. Yeah, right. Yeah, it looks. It, so I started watching the first episode just because, and then all this um, dialogue started up by a lot of critics, including like black critics who hate the show really and say it is like anti-black because Mm -hmm. it just kind of takes black pain and just throws more suffering on top of it under the guise of hey this is genre right we're we're talking horror story but they don't in any way like do anything with this right they just portray more suffering you know and it was it's been interesting to uh, read about and to follow, and obviously, I feel rightly, you know, unqualified to comment on it. Mm-hmm. Other than to say, I watched the first first episode and wasn't really taken with it, and you know, do appreciate Jordan Peele's, you know, stuff more. Sure, his his genre stuff I think appeals to me more. And for you, you aren't as much, right? You liked. Um, I like out, to get out, but you didn't care for us. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that kind of got me interested in the underground railroad as a series to see what Barry Jenkins does with, and he's the moonlight guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. I really like moonlight. Did you watch moonlight? Mm-mm. And, um, if Beale street could talk, which I think his direction is great, but yeah, if, if that doesn't, um. Whoa! I am first time back. Struggling. In my. Where did hiccups start? Uh, in the in the lungs. Wherever hiccups start, they're not having it today. <laughs> um. But uh, where was I? Oh yeah. <clears throat> if that if that doesn't um catch your catch your fancy, then um, yeah, I'd like to find something. Yeah, I mean. One of the revelations I've come to after watching, we've been like watching a lot of stuff the past couple months, is just coming to the realization and the acceptance that I need, I need it, I need my entertainment to be short and like maybe pulpy. Like not serious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that, 
the Underground Railroad TV series sounds like the polar opposite of both of those things. <laughs> Long and very serious. Yeah, I've been trying to... to um, I, yeah, I've been interested in reading the book, so I figured now would be the right time. And It's based on a... Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. The Underground Railroad is the Underground Railroad, right? It's not called that because of a book. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you're I just really, but you're talking about a specific book, <laughs> right? I really do think you need to watch this. <laughs> yeah, so the Underground Railroad is a historical, you know, uh, reality. Right, I get that, but it yeah. was called that right before this book. Okay, um, that's just what I wanted to clarify. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I've been I've been wanting to, um, you know, read it. it's it's historical fiction, so it is taking you know the historical underground railroad and I think fictionalizing it to a certain extent, which mm-hmm. is honestly like I'll take that, please. I I really like yeah. historical fiction and I love I love digging into stories. I think both of us probably enjoy that aspect of things and not much has come along to invite that kind of curiosity of taking something that you don't know about and then exploring more about it yeah i don't um like and and i felt this way ever since the blair witch project and and previous to that right where you have an opportunity with how you know uh, film and television and even podcasts are made to, you know, kind of cast a wider net in your narrative to bring in different aspects of storytelling than just here's our story, roll credits, get out of here. Yeah. That you can create a fictional space that people can, you know, dive into or, you know, really kind of fill out. And, uh, you know, I remember with the Blair Witch, I bought the soundtrack, which was like the cassette tape they found in their car, you know, quote unquote. Right. And listening to that felt different than listening to any other mixtape or soundtrack. Uh-huh. Just, you know. Just because of the, the narrative. Yeah. It, yeah. So, you know, I really like historical fiction for that um, aspect of it. And that's why I was interested in this. The other thing, too, is I was going to talk about this later, but um, I just read Killers of the Flower Moon, mm-hmm. uh, which is Scorsese's next. It, it was talked about as a movie, then a TV series. I think it's a movie now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I finally read that, and my God, <laughs> my God. I told you I've read some other nonfiction relatively recently, mm-hmm. and it's just like... I, I think I texted you. I get it why, you know, a lot of conservative, what are they? They're not thinkers. They're conservative <laughs> talkers. Mm-hmm. We'll just perpetuate a narrative of blanket rejection of history and reality mm-hmm. because it's so much easier than accepting the historical record of what has been done yeah. to people in the name of, you know, our, you know, progress or America, mm. you know, 
And it does make you want to run to the safety of anything that happened. We've apologized. I'm sorry. And right. any uh, anything that's happened is in the past. Okay. Yeah. So get over it. Yeah, we've apologized. We've moved on. You're the one. You're the one that's you're still bringing. It. You're the one that's living in it. Yeah, why we've you, moved on. Why do you keep making it about rapes <clears> and <throat> right. you know uh, Native Americans? Get over it, right? But in all these accounts, like I still remember watching the Watchmen TV series to have the Tulsa massacre revealed to me, mm. and feeling so embarrassed that. I had no idea. I remember watching and somebody was like, is this real? And I was like, this can't be real. But yeah. it would only make sense if they're building on Watchmen for, for this to have some you know, reality to it. And yeah, it's pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> so I, I didn't know about the Tulsa massacre. How can we say as a society, all is done and forgiven and forgotten if we if we still don't know of a massacre that yeah. happened within the last hundred years right like that's insane um yeah and killers of the flower moon <laughs> yikes mm -hmm. um in it, it it portrays uh this What's what, what what's the term? Um, the Osage Indians had to have um, basically custodians over their money because they were they were deemed as unfit to be able to spend their money, mm -hmm. um, and they would a lot of times have a white man put over their money who would make sure that they are not you know, incorrectly spending it and all that right. stuff because they, they they can't handle that or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there are, there was a hidden massacre that like the end of this book talks about of these, I can't believe I forgot, it starts with a C, but these custodians who would kill their wards who they were over their money and then basically take their money. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, show like, oh, look, I'm in their will. Oh, look, they, they, they want to give me your, oh, they owed me money. Right. I had to lend them money because I withheld. There, there are accounts like from, from the FBI of, you know, a lady whose child was sick and her custodian refused to release her money to her so she could get help for her kid and her kid died. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you absorb that, that tragedy? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like how how are you supposed to understand the 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 wrongness of a system that allowed a child to waste away in their mother's arms? Meanwhile, like the Osage uh Native Americans were were put on, you know, rocky land that was deemed unsuitable that had oil. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they became super rich and then all the forces of of white capitalist mm -hmm. progress comes in, and you see it just systematically destroy a, a, a community, and in a way that not many people know about. Yeah, 
you know, not, not many people know, like, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, I didn't know about the, the details of that. Do I feel bad about what's happened to Native Americans and about American history? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I understand it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and it, it's something I also will never understand. Um, and then you can see that pull of like, we'll just reject then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's like mm-hmm. the, the, the whole thing seems to be like, you need to constantly relearn it because you can never understand it. Mm-hmm. You know? So just constantly being that in that place of, you know, I, I want to read more of those, even though they're hard, but it's important to, I think, keep relearning those lessons because as someone who hasn't experienced it, I'm, I'm likely to a forget or B convince myself that I've felt enough Mm -hmm. that I understand. Yeah. I think part of it too is it's, it, it doesn't, when you're talking about the conservative side of this, of how this is presented, you don't get like rejections of it. You don't get like denials that it happened, but what you get is like anytime, you know, uh, native American issues would come up that have obviously been affected by this past history. Those issues get dismissed Mm -hmm. and those issues get like belittled and, you know what I mean? And, and the best example I can think of, which this is a very complicated example, is <laughs> the um, COVID vaccine and the black community. You know what I mean? And I'm not in any way, I've, I've gotten the vaccine. I've gotten one of my doses. I believe everyone should get it. But there's also this history and there's also this belief in the black community. Ugh. You too, huh? Some form of some some level of belief. In, in, yeah, in, in some of the black community, yeah. Right. Of, you know, the all the terrible things that the government has done to the black communities. And so a lot of black people are are wary of any sort of vaccine. And instead of like looking into why they're wary of that or, you know, what things have happened in the past, it just gets dismissed outright, you know, as these people are just crazy. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's complicated when it comes to the vaccines because (laughs) I think vaccines are good, but at the same time, like I understand like where the hesitancy comes from. Yeah. My, my, the, the way that I, I relate to that same idea is with people's anger. And so many times even growing up learning the history, you know, I was taught that like Black Panthers, they they wanted violence. And right. you know, you never ever should give in to violence. How yeah. could how could they have any point of view? And then, you know, you you start exploring it a little more and you realize like, listen, number one, some of them aren't half as angry as how they're portrayed by other people right. who are on the re- receiving <laughs> yeah. end of their like rebukes. Yeah. Right. Which like to, to what extent should you rebuke the person who is systematically oppressing your culture? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like what tempered language should you be using? But, but more than that is 
so what if they were betting? So what if they were like, we think that these white people should die? Mm-hmm. Okay, like that still is a valid anger to have if you look at their experience potentially, yeah. or or even if it's not. Have you taken the time to look and understand their experience and their pain? Yeah. That that Osage woman who lost her child, like, I don't know her story, but, like, what, what would an appropriate response to her experience be? Right. And time and time again, you had these people who are suffering at the hands of people who both put them in a position to get all their money and then came to take their money. It's like they didn't ask for that land, you know? And there's there's a telling uh, portion in the book where the chief of the tribe at the time was like, give us this rocky land because it will keep the white man out. Like, we will thrive here if you do not come here. And then you find oil. Yeah. <laughs> And then here and here they come and look what happens. Right. And and absolutely no accountability, no thought as to like, you know, I I I mentioned this to you the other day, driving, you know, we went to the beach the other day and I'm driving. I'm seeing all these communities of like compound houses. Not mm-hmm. not big houses. I'm talking compounds, right? And they're behind these walls. And you see everyone out on their patio or whatever, and you realize, like, yeah, they they have everything that they could need within not only the walls of this community, but the walls of their house. Right. And then you think about how many of them have investigated where their wealth came from. Or, like, if I was living around the area <laughs> of the Osage Indians at this time, and I, my family was wealthy, I would probably assume that someone in my near, you know, past did something pretty horrific <laughs> right. to get this money that now the family's like, let's go buy a house and, and live away from everybody else. Right. Let's just yeah. go live on a compound, you know? Yeah. And that and that kind of evaluation, like you said, is is discounted as, you know, like uh cloying. Oh, everything's about you. You have to ask questions about everything, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and then it's met with you know, just chance of America's the America's the least racist country, and I'm, yeah. it's like, where are you getting that from? Yeah. Well, this and this actually kind of ties into some of the issues I had with the pharmacist. Mm. I don't know how long ago was it that you watched it because it came oh, out last year. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's, it's a documentary. About um, so it's a a documentary on Netflix about a pharmacist in St. Bernard's Parish, New Orleans, outside of um, what's the Mardi Gras city called? New Orleans, you said it. New, what's the name of the state that New Orleans is in? Then Louisiana, Louisiana, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's been a while. I, I'm I'm scared now that this podcast is your only socialization that you get, and we don't yeah. do this. I've been yeah. locked in the house for undetermined <laughs> reasons, right? I don't know for why. a long time. 
Um, so yeah, one of my big issues, I guess probably the biggest issue I had with it. So it's a Netflix documentary about a pharmacist whose son gets killed buying crack from the lower ninth ward. Um, and then from there, it kind of spirals into the opioid epidemic as a whole. And it's four episodes long. Each episode is an hour. And um, it's like surprisingly one of the on- probably only Netflix documentaries we've watched in a long time that didn't that felt like the exact opposite of a Netflix documentary, which is like, why didn't they just make this an hour and a half long movie? Instead, you watch 10 hours of some, you know, thing that's been drawn out. Yeah, it felt a little short, felt a little too tied up. But my biggest issue with it is that they don't. I I I'm I wouldn't even say they t- even touch on it. Um, I guess they do just by the nature of the dynamic existing, but they do not explore at all this idea of like this well-to-do pharmacist is kind of able to go on this whole crusade because he is a well-off white guy. Mm-hmm. And he's encountering all of these black people that are living in poverty that uh you know don't just don't have the resources he has and in his pursuit to like find the person that killed his son you know obviously there's a lot of racial dynamics in play because it has to do with the lower ninth ward that used to be majority white and then they all moved out when the black people started moving in black people moved in and you know and now it's all the whole area is like low um is like poverty low wages and during this pursuit, he's like going into the lower ninth ward. He's like knocking on doors, talking to people, da, 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 da. And like every single person he's talking to is like, oh, yeah, my brother was killed too. Or it's like, oh, yeah, my son was killed too. And it's like, yeah, but these people aren't able to just work part time at their pharmacy or take a month off to go knock on doors. Like their son gets killed. And then the next day they have to wake up and go to and, you know, get on the bus and go to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the fact that it doesn't, it didn't touch on that at all. Really? Not only does it not not touch on that, it then briefly goes into the um, Hurricane Katrina situation, which is like a notorious like failure of, of the working class and like of the, of these, of this black community in New Orleans. And the whole focus is like slow zooming in on these people's essentially mansion and like, Oh, look at all this stuff they lost during the hurricane and blah, blah. And our, Oh, our house was destroyed. It's just like, this seems really so tone deaf. Yeah. You know what I mean? That really bothered me a lot. Yeah. But uh, again, it might be, it's, I'm sure it's one of those things where it's like, well, that's not what the documentary is about. Blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? But that that i think is part of that larger point of like it's just not in people's consciousness Mm -hmm. you know what i mean any normal person is going to watch that documentary and just be like oh yeah that sucks and they're and they're not going to pick up on those dynamics i feel like because it just is not talked about yeah the the that brings me weirdly to to the other book that i wanted to talk about 
Um, and the problem is, is the way that it comes up in people's consciousness is also in a cloying, superficial way that, again, the, the, the rights critique of people's, for lack of a better term, wokeness, mm-hmm. right? Obscures a real criticism underneath that, which is to what level are you engaging with the awareness of this culture or the awareness of this, you know, abuse or, you know, um, <laughs> of, of, of this uh, tragedy? Um, to what extent are you engaging in that? And what are what what is your response to it mm-hmm. and reaction from it? How does it hit you? How does it land with you? And that brings me to the other book that I read uh, recently, The Boy from the Woods. Right. And that book is awful. Yeah. I hated, hated it. And it does a, a multitude of sins. But based on this conversation and what we're having... I think one thing that does that stands out to me is how socially aware it is, how cloyingly socially aware, Uh, right? Right. How he fits in, manages to fit in every single kind of social liberal, you know, issue, but from a neoliberal, you know, centrist adjacent, you know, um, Position. There is a black man serving life in prison, unjustly accused. Mm-hmm. There is a you know gender non-conforming character who gets a name and that's it. You mm-hmm. know, so if you say like, "Hey, Corb Harlan," or I forget the author's name, but it's Har- like yeah, the author's name is Harlan Coben, yeah. something like that. Tell us about the Zelda character. You know, mm-hmm. gender non-conforming sounds interesting. He'd probably be like, "Yeah, she's um, you know, she's an assistant, and um, I I say it all in that one sentence. You know, she's gender nonconforming. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay. So, anything else about her? Uh, nope. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. to what end is your inclusion? Right. You know, and is your inclusion in fact something that is just exploitation? You know, mm-hmm. exploiting your own awareness. And that to me is what that book screamed of, is just cloyingly self-aware and self-congratulatory on how much shit he could pack into his narrative. Yeah. That was politically minded and progressive, while also including gems like, the military man saying me and this liberal pundit don't see eye to eye on a lot, but both of our, uh, on, on issues, but both of our perspectives could be considered as rational. Yeah. It's like, no, they can't, you know, like, I mean, to, to sit there and, and properly assess what's happening. And you see it happening again with another 13 year old boy who shot in Chicago you know, uh, that, that the video was just released is you have a frank assessment of 
needing to readdress what policing looks like in America. Yeah. Fundamentally. That's the response. To sit there and offer anything other than we need to fundamentally reassess what policing looks like in America is writing this trash novel <laughs> and throwing out there into the culture and being like, I did my part, yeah. right? I'm aware. I went to a march or I held up a sign or whatever else. And mm. then I and then I went home and I never bothered to have the the hard conversation of what would it look like to have a different society. And what's super interesting, because Killers of the Flower Moon was published a few years ago, it starts with policing. Mm-hmm. Like from the get-go, it kind of analyzes how policing developed because this story is deeply entrenched in what law, what is the what is the the use and goal of law. It's also about the the kind of this helped validate the FBI. And right. man, guess what? The system sucked. <laughs> yeah. It always sucked. <laughs> it came out of a broken system. Yeah. And you can't just apply a broken system on a broken system and be like, yeah, they, they deserve the majority of all of our taxes. They deserve all the military equipment that they need and stop, stop criticizing my boys in blue. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's, I think that's what I wanted to say about, about those things. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, it just, it, it annoys me to no end how like people talk about, Oh, I'm so tired of cancel culture or whatever. It's like, so am I, but I still believe in cancel culture on the right people. Mm-hmm. Like, like cancel the right people. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not into like, yeah, get that guy, uh, who, you know, posted, a uh, insensitive selfie or whatever and like destroy him yeah, or her or them right. or whoever. But at the same time, Steven Crowder should not have a platform. Steven Crowder should not have a platform. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a guy who, ju- Tucker Carlson, who is now like openly, you know, we, we watch RM Brown. I don't know if you mm-hmm. still do, but yeah, you know, he, he does this thing where like whenever he covers people like Tucker Carlson, who like do a wink, you know, he's like covering their, their, their content. He's like, yeah. you know, they're just like winking, you know, during, uh, uh, commercial breaks, like, they can't control it because mm-hmm. they are sending signals and they know who they're sending signals to. Tucker Carlson is now just like out and out, just like what's wrong with white supremacy? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And still people are like, well, I mean, he's, he's a primetime <laughs> guy. I don't, I don't know yeah. why, why we need to right. platform. Him. This is on cable news. It can't be that bad. Be that yeah. Bad. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm sure. Harlan Corbin is going to really get him with a Tucker Carlson esque character <laughs> in his next well, book. Well, right. Who then becomes their protagonist, right? And it's kind of like, it's like you, 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 you get all the, you've got all the talking points. And it's almost like a libertarian thing, too, where it's like you get so close. And then you just, at the end, when you're drawing your conclusions or when you're like, trying to offer some solutions you take a complete left turn mm-hmm. and lose the lose the scent or whatever yeah yeah so <clears throat> the boy from the woods 
bad on so many levels, and I, I really could talk about it a lot. Killers of the Flower Moon, so good for so many reasons, but also just so just depressing. And, yeah. You know, all you can do is just record it, write a book like that. Like, and again, juxtaposing those two, which I wasn't really thinking about doing. It just, yeah, yes, man. Because <laughs> you know Corbin or whatever is like, yeah, man, you know, down with Trump or whatever. And yeah. then meanwhile, it's just like, let me write Killers of the Flower Moon. And, and does anybody want to deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, man, I got, I'm, I'm writing a trilogy. Don't worry. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll get indigenous people in my next novel. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll have one be a scientist and she'll be a female. <laughs> And she'll have a gender non-conforming <laughs> assistant, but I'll give her a line this time. Yeah. Good googly moogly. So yeah, I guess I guess that kind of brings us to if we have a main topic, um, you know, two two shows that I think hit on some of what we've talked about in vastly different ways, but actual stories and storytelling that is good number mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. Like the boy from the woods and has ha- having a sense of of uh, actual um edge to them or, or satirical application to our culture and one was a show that we both have seen all of that i i got you and julia to, to watch which is called search party mm-hmm. now on hbo and a new season is being made right now i believe HBO Max. HBO Max. Yes, and new seasons being made now. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I know we want to keep it a little short, so um, I, I don't know if you wanted to, like, breeze over our general thoughts about the whole series or how you wanted to do the discussion. Well, um, so there's five, four seasons. We've watched all four seasons. Mm-hmm. The first three seasons were on TBS. Mm-hmm. And then this fourth one was on... Training Wheels Off. HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're four very different seasons. Yeah. Uh, definitely does not feel like... <sighs> sort of uh, iteration on the last season. Feels like each season is attempting to do something that that is the sole purpose of that season. You know what I mean? While still continuing the storyline. Um, what that is in the later seasons <laughs> is lost on me. I'm not smart enough for that. But I really like the first season. And and we're we're doing our standard full spoilers. Talk yeah. about the whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the first season follows a kind of noir, missing person, you know, was this girl murdered or kidnapped or did she run away? It's almost like a hipster brick. Yeah. Hip, right? Yeah, hipster brick um, and gets more and more paranoid as the season goes on until the big reveal, which I think does a really smart thing of pulling back that veil of conspiracy, which of course drives narratives and, and you want in some way, right? Mm-hmm. To be like 
some vast conspiracy. And a lot of times I feel like in narratives where they, where they pull that back and they, and they go a different direction, I feel unsatisfied. I feel like, you know, the people maybe depending on how well they set it up, like I'll say that about true detective. Like I'm one of the people who feels like season one of true detective should end with a Cthulhu monster coming down from space or something like, mm-hmm. like I am, I'm of that mindset. And when true detective really pulls back and says, yeah, we're not about the, the spirals and the yellow King and all that. I, I found that <clears throat> unsatisfying, but with this, when it pulls it back and, and goes a different direction, I really loved what they did with it and making it be about like, your search for meaning can make you paranoid sometimes in looking for meaning, looking for yeah. patterns, looking for something, right, that will give your life some meaning, some direction. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, also speaks to the the satire of it, which I, I think is solid throughout, of... Why do we feel like we live in an era of conspiracy theories and, you know, growing kind of disinformation stuff? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is because people are just motivated by the banality of life to be like, there has to be more than this. Vaccines are causing autism. Like, I'm going to uncover, I'm going to be the one to uncover this thing or the earth is flat or QAnon or whatever else. Like, all those conspiracies get, can give your life meaning or make it feel meaningful right well under well underneath it all just being masturbatory well just it's just uh coincidence it's just this you know serendipity that's what a lot of paul oster's writing is about Mm -hmm. it's just it's just coincidence you know what i mean it's it is unexplainable I guess, and it, depending on the person, it's meaningless or it's the meaning of everything. Yeah. You know, and he's got, he was, I was listening to one of his interviews a long time ago on like NPR or something. And he was talking about how I can't, I can't remember the story enough to do justice, but I remember the skeleton of it is like, there was an old piano that his family had um, in uh, Nazi Germany. His family was Jewish and there were like two keys on it that never worked. Right. Fast forward to however long later, he's like has a piano or buys a piano or has some kind of piano and it's the same two keys that don't work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it just is like, Obviously, that is a terrible retelling of it, and he does a much better. I was captivated telling of it, but it's just as like, it's just as uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just weird coincidence. And depending on the person or the personality, you can like read everything into that, or you can read nothing into it. And it's but especially, and you know that goes back to everything that we're going through now politically. That's the same thing. That's what QAnon is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So I really liked. I did like the first season a lot. Yeah, I liked what they did with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like ultimately how the how they ended the season. Well, I like that the core mystery 
turned out to just be, yeah, nothing. Yeah. It yeah. was just that. It was like, oh, I've just wasted the last however two months long of my life and I've made all these terrible decisions and mistakes and I've uprooted everything because I've just been chasing my own tail essentially. You know what I mean? And it's done in a way where I think it's, I'm hoping that something new where there's a period in time, I think we're in college and after where you and I would kind of complain that a lot of what was passing for comedy seemed to be people ad-libbing and just ad-libbing like the worst thing that came to their mind and just shouting it a lot of times and being like, that'll work for this take. Mm -hmm. And then a show like search party comes along, which also deals with a lot of cameos that definitely come up later in later seasons. But instead of having people come on and just be outrageous or say something crazy they are usually bringing something deeper to their character or the storyline. Mm -hmm. And to me, it makes Search Party feel more substantial. So even in the way that it wraps up, it wraps up in a way that's funny, but but never like, I'm never laughing out loud. I'm just, yeah. just kind of sitting back and being like, that's really funny. Yeah. Or that's really clever. Mm -hmm. or, that's just really witty. Like, that the, the the show to me feels you know sculpted in 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 a lot of ways that i think i felt frustrated in in other things that felt a little more like hey i'm funny you're funny let's just go be funny you mm -hmm. know it's like i'd i'd rather have something that feels worked on you know and search party definitely feels like well written and worked on and doesn't feel lazy in its storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th what I think ultimately my biggest issue is that at the end of the first season, they end up killing the guy that Dory was having an affair with, mm -hmm. who was a private investigator. And the reason I had such an issue with it at the time and I think this like bore out. He was is a that, white man. Yeah, he You're was white the white man. guy. Right? <laughs> is that I feel like ultimately once that happens, there's only one way you can go with a story. And it's a way that a million other stories have gone of cover up. Are they going to get away with the cover up? What are the consequences of the cover up? And sure enough, it goes down all those roads, and I didn't find any of them particularly interesting. Mm. Um, even though we did watch all the seasons, and I was somewhat interested in all of them. Once it started going down that road, I was just kind of like, man, I was really... And I'm again, I guess it's to the point of like are they going to do something which with each season that's going to be unique to that season or do they just not kill Keith? Right. That's right. Uh, do they just not kill Keith and go into the second season being basically an iteration on the first season of like maybe Keith still dies, but you don't know if they did it. Or maybe Keith has gone missing, but 
You know what I mean? And so now they're trying to figure out, or now they're being framed for it, so they have to figure out what, you know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't particularly sound that interesting either, <laughs> to me at least. Um, but I guess what I disliked about it so much is that it, uh, that first season, which to me felt so good and felt like I really never knew where it was going to go or what they are going to do, and the the broad mystery wrapped up in a way that no other series wraps up, right? In that nothing happened to the girl. She just <laughs> took off for a little bit. That it became so predictable. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I <clears throat> See, I feel like what carried me through were, were the, the more like social satire aspects of each season so whether it's just looking at you know the role of privilege um of mimicry in in attaining success right that we see in uh john john early right what's his character's name um the gay guy mm -hmm. i can't remember his name yeah but but elliot elliot you know where where elliot was never even a student. He was just He never had cancer. Never right. had cancer. And that that kind of mimicry to success. And season three with the uh courtroom drama season, which I thought was really great too. And Elliot becoming a conservative, you know, talk show figure, I thought right. was also done smartly where it could have been way more uh like basic than than it was um I thought that was good i i loved also um the the memoir that uh that the the, the girl who disappeared in season 1 writes and then throws oh, off the top oh, of a right. building that then it's the conservative <laughs> right. lady yeah. and like how that all ties in wraps right. up right and how, like, the Oprah stand-in thinks it's written by a 10-year-old, and that makes it amazing. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that it was written by an adult makes it trash. Right. I mean, all of that, I think, is, like, just really smart. Like, it, it, it also is smart in that it doesn't draw attention to itself in kind of, like, all this self-help stuff that gets pushed is basically 10 year old drivel that is that that's not a witty point to make right that's a pretty basic point to make yeah but then put into their universe and then spit out it becomes really funny and and witty you know um and so that those aspects i think are what carried me through but what almost derailed it was the kidnapping plot for, for Dory in the last Oh, season. with the stalker. That to me, and I saw what they were doing, but it got, for me, it got too much on on the, the, the commentary of her hating herself and what does she deserve. Yeah. You know, that, that got a little too heavy-handed and it ended up, to me, I think, spinning its wheels where, you know, they just... They just had to keep moving her around, but they couldn't really do anything with her, right? Like, she she can easily overpower that guy. She does multiple times. 
yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've said this before on the podcast. I know I've said it to you. Uh oh, hypnotizing somebody doesn't work is never a good plot line. It's it's never worked in anything ever. It's never believable. It's never good. It should never be a serious like catalyst in your story. Mm. And she gets full on hypnotized in this season. Mm-hmm. It is such a stupid idea. The only thing that I'll say about that is at the end, I do like how they resolve her relationship with it with Chip, right? Is that his name? I forgot. With Maybe. him. Uh-huh. But um but she's like hypnotize me again. He's like, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know what sure. I was doing. Yeah. And you realize like she it worked too because she wanted to believe it. But again, to me, that's the point that you made at the beginning. That's the point that you made three different ways when you show her escaping from the trunk thing, getting back into the trunk. When you show her overpowering him and locking him in the room, then her being stuck in the staircase. It's like, are you telling me that she couldn't find a way to get him to unlock the door? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like his his checkmate move to her is basically to be locked in a room. And she's like, damn it, you got me, you know? Yeah. And so when she when she goes back in, you realize like, oh, this is this is not her wanting to escape, right? That these are th- this is a character who wants to be contained to a certain extent while also believing that she doesn't want to be, mm-hmm. you know? But they made that point so many times. And the hypnotizing thing was again another reiteration of that point. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm all for, and I do like. They had moments that I liked of where where they are playing with the this idea of like memory and like how you remember things. And I like the way they started to play around with this idea of um chips like uh, fantasies start to become somewhat of her memories right and she doesn't know what to believe cool with that i like it Mm -hmm. but then to go full on like you're right chip (laughs) i love you you know what i mean it's just like come on it's so stupid it just is the worst i can't stand it i do feel like she should have died at the end yeah that's the other thing too where she probably should just be dead. Yeah. And the show should just be over. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I'm I'm interested to see what they obviously what they do. I I enjoyed it more than you and I feel like there are there, there are also like again, if if we look at this is a bad way to think about it, but what's the justification of a show's existence, right? Mm-hmm. And what does a show ask of you? Like one thing is the show's short, right? Yeah, exactly. 30 minute episodes. Right. Great. But like, I I remember what made me finally want to fully recommend this to you was the acapella group in, in right. season one. Yeah. At a, at, at a, a gathering for her disappearance. And that moment to me was just so kind of spot on and funny and representative of something that I've, I've seen mm-hmm. and I've, I've lived through. 
And then the the other one, uh, other moment is the wedding where uh, the friend is stuck singing. I forget what song she's singing um, because Elliot gets stood up at the altar and she has to keep. Oh, I'll make love to you. Right. right? Yes. Yeah. Like to to me, if if the show is always going to give me like one of those moments, it's like yeah. 30 minute episodes on how many episodes? All right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, that's good enough for me. Even, even if I agree with you that by them keeping Dory alive, to me, it makes, it, it seems to set up more of the kidnapping type narrative where you need things to happen for, you know, for, for just the, the story to keep going rather than having a clear direction of where they're going. You know, yeah, and what I'll say is, while I did not like the broad strokes of what the second, third, and fourth seasons were doing, I didn't like where the story was going in general. I did still continue to watch and like watching it because I liked the the characters. Liking the characters is an interesting yeah. way to put it, yeah. but the uh, characters were good and the writing is good. And the commentary is good. Yeah. But <clears throat> yeah, that that is see that that also makes me reminds me of so so your initial after watching you're like, who is the worst of yeah. the friends? Yeah. Right. And I feel like the I feel like the point of one of the points, or not one of the points, but one of the um uh foundations of the show is that all four of the main characters are not great people mm-hmm. um they don't make good choices almost who is a good person in the narrative right yeah Girl missing is she's terrible off. yeah yeah everyone's kind of everyone kind of sucks right um <clears throat> so it's it's hard to say like you're watching it because you like the characters or you're rooting for them or whatever, but they are written so well and they are relatable enough. Uh, but they all do some pretty gnarly things throughout mm-hmm. the show. But um, <clears throat> coming back to who was the worst character, it seems to me that like morally speaking, the worst character is obviously the gay guy, right? He's lied about having childhood cancer he lies about everything, basically. He's there's nothing about him that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were saying that it was the boyfriend. There's a, you know, the, it's it, it's interesting because Elliot is awful, terrible. I totally agree. And but yet he's somehow more likable than the boyfriend. Well, it's not just likable, but it is something where. <clears throat> And and again, we 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 referenced the the YouTuber uh, R M Brown right. before, but I I always find he has an interesting take when he covers some of these like conservative personalities, where he just like calls them out, like he's like this this person's a grifter, yeah. and almost like almost like respect the grift. I mean, like you are just milking and fleecing these mm-hmm. viewers you're just openly nakedly incurious and just like wearing it like a badge you mm-hmm. know and 
you're doing it so flagrantly that in some ways, like it's on the people who are watching you to stop you. It's almost like you're, you're just like, Hey, everyone, I just want, you to know, I'm going to start stealing from you. Okay. Yeah. So now I'm, they, they go around, they start stealing from people and some people are getting upset and other people are like, good for them. They're stealing. <laughs> um, and, but no one is stopping them. Right? right. Or, or like, or the ones who want to stop them are like outside the store, watching the people in the store being like, get angry. And so part of me, it's like Elliot would have no platform if people just said, no, yeah. do, do the most base level like analysis or be honest. He'll, he'll tell you straight up, like, I am not an honest person. Mm. You know what I mean? And so in that, in that sense, I feel like he displays more honesty than somebody who is truly lying to themselves. <laughs> like Dory's boyfriend mm -hmm. who also does horrible things yeah and breaks a girl's heart you know mm -hmm. and keeps going back to dory for no reason right he's a twerp and a douchebag yeah. i hate i hate him uh -huh. i hate him so much <laughs> and he's not he's not aware of a lot of that stuff yeah in the way that elliot is right so what's your take? I mean, my take is that Elliot is obviously the worst person just because he's lied about so many things and so many like really terrible things. And even to your point of everybody knows he's a liar and he doesn't present himself as anything differently. And yet there are still moments where Dory and the other girl are genuinely hurt by this, some of the stuff he's lied about. So it's clearly not that cut and dry. And I would, I would definitely agree that is his name John? No, it can't be John. I'm, I'm actually pulling it up now because I'm tired of, of not knowing. I would agree that Dory's boyfriend's biggest sin is probably a lack of awareness but I don't think that's that big of a deal. So there's Dory, Drew. Drew, that's Elliot, right. Elliot and Portia. And I think part of it, too, is that I also really like the way the actor is playing Drew. And he does such a great job of being, like, such a wiener and, like, weaseling out and, like, backing down to everybody in such a funny way that... I really ended up liking him a lot. Just like I liked watching his interactions because it was always so funny how he backed down so quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Well, it, it sounds like it, it's also an affinity for the actors that is swaying us. Yeah. Maybe even a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I was saying. Despite not caring for where the story goes as a whole, I still really liked the writing. I really liked all the actors. Um, and, you know, just the way they have them 
interact and the commentary and all that was enough for me to stay interested. Mm-hmm. All right. And that brings us to the show that is still ongoing. Yeah. Uh, Made for Love. Made for Love. Yeah. On HBO Max. Which is also on HBO Max. Also a 30 minute uh-huh. episodic uh-huh. And, and commentary on modern culture. And it, it's it's hard to, I was thinking about this, like, which show is darker? I think, huh, I think at least in tone, mm-hmm. Search Party is darker. I don't think it's as, like, reaching to be funny as Made for Love is. See, Made for Love, so I just finished episode five. Mm-hmm. And what really hit me in episode five was like the dystopia, the mm-hmm. universe that they're building out. That really shows this divide that we see now, but very subtly where like, you know, where her father is living and how other people are living just seems like a nightmare, like an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And meanwhile, you are also living in a universe where like the cube exists, like technology that we've never, you know, that we can't fathom yet is, is happening. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, it's just created a greater divide in humanity. Mm -hmm. The less have less in the, rich have more and that the way that they depict that kind of disparate you know cultures to me made me very like very depressed (sighs) yeah um i guess maybe a difference is that the commentary from What's it called? Made, made to love. love. Made for Love is not new to me, right? It's not anything that I haven't thought of or kind of observed myself over the past however long that we've been living with these with you know these technologies. Um, and it feels a lot more pointed than Search Party, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um. Whereas Search Party, I guess to me, kind of felt like they wanted to tell this a story and the cultural commentary was kind of a part of that. To me, in Made for Love, the the cultural commentary seems like it's the entire point of the show. Which is not a bad thing. It just is, um, I don't know, makes it a little bit more obvious, maybe? Yeah, and... I think Made for Love is doing something interesting where it it is more obvious than Search Party. Its jokes are more identifiable. And right. Its tone can be more overtly comedic. Yeah, I mean, it's almost got it like a almost got like a slapstick quality to it. There's a guy who gets his fingers chopped off. He yeah. gets sh- his legs basically shot off with a shotgun, like. And he's back the next episode, you know what I mean? And like still pursuing this girl. Well, well, not just that, but he's like living and he just makes a reference like, 
I'm leaving out my car with my fingers on ice. Right. Like, yeah. yeah he, he just kind of, he rolls with the punches. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which I, which I like. And then there, and then there's also like in the, in the last two episodes, there have also been more like overtly comedic, like with him smelling things when he's like trying yeah. to get the smell box. Oh, right. Because when, he doesn't like smells. Right. And when he like refuses to take the, the VR set off, He's watching Hazel. Yeah. Uh, and he just like keeps walking into stuff, you know? Yeah. Or like he sits in the chair and like slowly slides away. Right. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Like that that stuff is like more overtly funny. But but then it's like counterbalanced with like what Ray Romano is doing, which is which is, yeah. Kind kind of like what his thing, but but it's 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 funny, but also just really kind of like real it, it almost feels too real to be funny like when he's talking about his doll like like that to me is the perfect juxtaposition of like ray romano where you give him like not even a lifelike doll mm-hmm. and you're like okay your character loves this doll thinks in some ways that she's real and it also is the most basic dumb looking doll in this futuristic universe that ray romano then needs to like make you identify with he needs you to believe that that character actually feels something for that horrific dumb looking doll that costs like 20 bucks right yeah and he does it for me like he pulls it off it it somehow is both like funny and sad and somewhat real and just kind of yeah, the performance is great and the writing is great, but I think m- there might just be a barrier for me to believing somebody's in love with a doll. Like maybe that says something about me. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that somebody could actually fall in love with a doll. Yeah, but but again, the way that Ray Romano plays it, which I really enjoy, is kind of like he he both gets it, but then he doesn't. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, like he's just like, yeah, I'm the I'm the town pervert. Yeah, but you but know, he also you well, I don't know if you've gotten to this part yet, so I won't say it. But yeah, he does. He seems to realize it. Um, and they have that moment where, again, the the writing is great, but it, it, where um Hazel's friend is over, uh, br- yeah, I can't remember. That that's Patty Harrison, who I think is hilarious. Who's Patty Harrison? The one who plays. Um, but who Hazel's. is she? She's a like a comedian, oh, okay. um, but uh, she got kicked off of Twitter uh-huh. for impersonating uh, N- Nella Wafers <laughs> and also pretending to be the singer Sia. <laughs> and she's like, hey, I'm Sia. I'm, uh-huh. I'm taking over Nella Wafers uh, uh, Twitter for a little bit. Okay. There are only two genders. and then just a string of stuff right um because she's trans that that's just like mimicking like corporate conservative ideology and then it ended with her being like we we apologize that was sia the singer we we are we are the brand (laughs) nella wafers wafers, and we're pansexual right (laughs) And like that's that's the la- her last tweet right. banned off Twitter gone yeah, but there's a moment where she's over because she's Hazel's friends friend and then Ray Romano walks in and he's like um you know 
or I'll make him more pork chops or however he talks. And he's like, but Bengals can't stay. There's only three pork chops, right? And they right. look at each other and they're like, oh, because he's making one for that stupid-ass doll. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, but it's also the way that he deals with Bengals or like the way that they flesh out his character that he would know his daughter's secret language mm-hmm. and take the time to know that. How, yeah. how both caring and dismissive he can feel, that kind of balance. That That's something that... Uh, I think the show does well, even as it expands out to be, you know, a, a satire on our divide in tech culture and yeah. normie culture or us as consumers who are just buying into a system that is ultimately furthering the divide between us. Yeah. You know I mean, like, do you know how much money I've given to the corporations and the people who, who vastly do not want to touch me or look at me? Yeah. Like, I am just throwing money at them to be like, Please here, take more money to get further away from me. Mm-hmm. Let me help fund your your journey into space. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, or your or your quest for a three hundred year lifespan. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that I can't decide if I like about the show or love love about the show. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things I can't, I'm not sure if I hate it or if it's so stupid that I love it. It's almost like diarrhea planet, the band name Yeah, is that they have a tech billionaire who's like the core of the show basically. And his name's Gogol, (laughs) right? They literally took Google and took one letter out and made it the name of a character. I mean, it's spelled slightly differently, but his na- his last name is still Gogol. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that is so lazy, but at the same time, I don't. It I kind of like how just to, to the point it is, and it's like you know what, everyone knows we're going to be talking about companies like Google anyways, so we're just going to name it Gogol. We don't care. Yeah, I was thinking about the the author. There's an author named Gogol. Uh-huh. But I don't know if that if that was a tie-in because I agree with you. It's it's like to me if it's just literally like Google take a letter out. Um, that's so dumb that I, I'll still like it. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't sure, and I haven't had time to really you know consider it on a deeper level of like, are they winking, nodding to like a Russian novelist in this? <laughs> right. and like, is, is, is that like a further, but, but that yeah. goes back to like how, you know, I think I like things that create spaces for exploration. Yeah. And so like, that's something that I like t- tucked away and I was like, Oh, I'll, I haven't read much of Google. I, I think I read a book early on, but I was like, I'll, I'll go back and check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll appreciate it. If it turns me on, even if it was unintentional, I, I very simply also made some notes where I was like the good and bad of the shows if we just wanted to do like a high-level view. Okay. And I, I haven't gotten to the end of it, and I haven't really – Made for Love has not extended itself to the point of – Jane goes back to the idea that things should be short. Like yeah. Things should not maybe go on for multiple seasons beyond just like when you keep it short and tight, then there's less – identifiable problems mm-hmm. because usually the story's more focused, the characters 
haven't had enough time to just get annoying or grating or whatever else or spin their wheels in, in season long arcs that don't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so honestly, I'm just really thoroughly enjoying made for love. If there's one thing that I didn't like, one thing that stood out to me more mm-hmm. than, than Gogol. Okay. Which again is so <laughs> dumb. It, it works. <laughs> yeah. It's something so small and stupid as, do you remember the scene where she tries to kill herself? Jump it. She jumps in the pool. In the pool. Uh-huh. And she's down there. And then the dolphin comes. Uh-huh. And the dolphin opens up the door. Yeah. And then she unwraps the thing and then swims through the door. Uh-huh. You couldn't do that in one breath. <laughs> right. You couldn't have her <laughs> just go up for a breath yeah. and then come down and go through the tunnel. Right. And they also didn't cut where there was a moment for her to go up and get a breath. And it was just one of those things in, in the back of my mind. I'm like, when when you build something like that, do you not think of like, yeah. wait, is she going to have enough breath to get through here? Or was it something where it's like, oh, we don't have any footage of her. Like, like where was the failure on that? On, on such a small thing, like what was the oversight? Was in the writing? Was in the directing of the scene? Yeah. Was in the editing where they're like, we, we need to keep this short. Let's cut out the scene where she goes and gets her breath. Listen. She held her breath. She got her breath. The dolphin breathed into her. Who cares? She mm-hmm. gets out. It was just, that was like the only thing when I was watching. I was like, please go up and get a breath. <laughs> she, nope, she's going through. She didn't get a breath. Yeah. I mean, I had the same thought when it happened. As soon as she started swimming through, I was like, there's no way she's going to have enough breath. She would have enough breath to do that. But that's also one of those things where it's just like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, like I said, Earlier in the show, they've already had a guy who got his fingers chopped off, who got his legs shot off, essentially. Like, they don't care. Exactly. No, it, it's it's me with a non-issue. Yeah. But that was the only thing that I remember watching where I had any moment of like, oh, that just, <laughs> just bothered me just a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Other than that, I would recommend Search Party all four seasons. Yeah. For me. Uh, and Made for Love, the first five episodes at least are great. And did the last two already get released or are those coming? Today. Uh, yeah, today. Today. Yeah. Okay. Have, so, you, have you watched those? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Eight, eight episodes total. So the last two come out today. And yeah, I would agree. First, our uh, search party, I would recommend all four seasons. Like I said, I didn't care for where the story went, but I still enjoyed watching the characters. Mm-hmm. Part of it too for that show is the second and third season because of where they go with it and because it turns into this thing this thing where it's like oh are they going to, how are they going to get caught how are they going to cover this up and it's like a, this slowly unraveling thing it's like two or three it's, it's seasons two or three for me were very stressful <laughs> i'm like i just want this to be over with Right, I'm. T- I I just it's it's too it was very stressful, um, and made for love. There's something about it that I can't quite, I can't put my finger on. I can't articulate in any in any way that I like this show for sure. I I definitely like it, but you know nothing about it has like. 
compelled me to like keep watching, right? Like Search Party, we did all four seasons in a like a week. <laughs> we watched the, those back to back to back to back to back to back to back. Um, and I know Julia loved Search Party. Right? Yeah, and that was mostly Julia. Like after the first season, I was like, all right, I could take a break from this. But yeah, Julia just just plowed ahead. How, she how does she feel it. for Made for Love? I think she likes it. Um, yeah, she was also kind of the catalyst for let's watch these next three episodes because we watched the first three on like Tuesday after we finished The Pharmacist. And then she was like, hey, let's watch these. Um, you want to watch the next few episodes? So I was like, yeah, sure. But yeah, two good shows. And like I said, for me, it's got to be short. I'm no they longer are. into this hour long thing. But yeah, bo- both of them are. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm I'm with you. I I truly am feeling like the the glut of content is starting to catch up with everybody a little bit. But I almost feel like make yeah, I I guess this is the way that that you you might agree with it too. It's like the hour long needs to earn it by yeah. by inviting more than just the the simple viewing experience where it's like if all I did was just view this content, click it off and then immediately forget about it. It's it's not worth 50 plus minutes, especially if it's HBO with no 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 commercials, right? right. And instead like the, the, the trade-off for me is create a space for me to like engage and, and think about it, but I don't need these like 50 minute long procedurals or yeah. like, you know, wh- whatever else or mm-hmm. definitely, well, I can't even think of like a 50 minute comedy. Right. Two. Um, quick question at the end here. Yep. Have you, watched or heard of or do you know what snowfall is it is better than the wire right is Hold what up. i hear on twitter Hold up. talk to him that's what i heard too that's why i'm asking uh i i saw that today too and, and from the way that i understand it because i i was there when it first launched to be like oh is this something i'm gonna be interested in mm-hmm. i may have watched first episode and i just remember watching being like seems I, I don't want to say because I can't remember what my what my feeling was, but I definitely didn't stick with it, and definitely didn't stick with me. Yeah. And to me, I just feel like, who is making that comparison? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. is, is this just like people who, or is this critics who have engaged in the wire, or is this just like people who are like, you know, have no stake in there? It's like better than the wire. Yeah. You know, and and I got caught in like Twitter. Yeah, that. Um that definitely, since I've been back on Twitter, just following people for Top Shot, you know, I look at the trending stuff, and it's pretty obvious that when it's not, when they're not, like, curating stuff in the trending section of Twitter, they have maybe, like, the most basic algorithm in the world. Yeah. Because it just is, all people have to do is retweet 
or, or use the same string of five words in a sentence. And next thing you know, you click on it and Trending. it's like, someone said snowfall is better than the wire. And then you've got a thousand tweets saying that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, to me, I'm like, I want to know who said, but I haven't heard much about it, but also that was the same thing for the wire. Yeah. Like, like when the wire was going on, like people were not saying like, this is the greatest show of all time. You, you turned me onto it like after it already completed. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe that this show was just like passed by and people were like, whatever, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. All right. What, what's David Simon working on now? I, have you seen his Twitter? He's, he's apparently just going off on Twitter every other day. Oh, yeah. People. That's not really a surprise yeah but, but i kind of want to be like is that what you're doing <laughs> right. what are you working on well he also kind of seems like you know the wire might be it for him right because he's done like he's done other things and none of them are that i loved great. i love treme yeah I, I i did love that he did generation kill oh yeah generation kill was good yeah generation kill is good treme i liked was no 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 that was i remember the luck yeah, that was that other guy, the Deadwood guy, right? Yep. He's dead now, right? Is he? Well, yeah, remember he, he made the TV show because he got a diagnosis of, is it Alzheimer's or he got diagnosed with something that's that's basically. Luck was the horse racing show, right? Yep. And they had to be shut down because like a horse died or something? Multiple horses kept dying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is this guy's name? David Milch. Yeah. No, he's not. Is he dead? I don't think. No, he's not dead. Because he, um, isn't he still doing, uh, Deadwood stuff? Or isn't there, like, always Deadwood rumored stuff? Yeah, but, um. Bipolar disorder, developed heart condition. Da, da, yeah, da, da, David da. Milch revealed he is oh. living with Alzheimer's disease. Right, yeah. shortly before beginning work on the script for the Deadwood film. Exactly. And the Deadwood, Deadwood film is is out, right? Yeah. You didn't watch it? No. Mm. I, I never watched the third season. That's right. You didn't. Yeah, it, it, and I, I read an article that was like basically David Milch on the set being like, it's farewell. It, they they made it sound like everyone knew that this was like his, his yeah. funeral, you yeah. know, or they're just like, all right, David. So, yeah. So, yeah, man, that's a bummer. All right. Well, great way to end the show. <laughs> ah, that's so funny. Ha, ha, ha. Damn, son, where'd you find this?